This is the Retro Movies and Metal Show, the only show where we have a Mexican and a Caucasian in the same room talking about the 90s. I'm your host, the Caucasian cocksucker, John. Across the table from me is the mad Mexican himself, the marvelous magician, and I'm out of alliteration, I don't know, Tony. How we doing, Tony? <laughs> doing good, dude. How are you? I am well. <laughs> uh, the topic for today God is sucker. the 1990s oh, uh, bit of 2000s band Rage Against the Machine. But before we get into that, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the Anchor app, or wherever you get your podcasts, and go ahead and leave us a rate and review of at least five stars. Uh, it'll help us grow the show, uh, the show that you love, the show that you can't get enough of. <laughs> Damn! <laughs> and help us grow it. <laughs> so thank you. We would appreciate it if you would do that. It uh, helps out the algorithm. Helps pretty the please. show. Pretty much does all that. Things that you would like us to do and more. Shit I know nothing about. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> How you been, Tony? Oh, all right, I guess. All right. It's yeah, starting to get chilly out. It is starting to get chilly out. It's a very cold. <laughs> uh, but it was 75 degrees. I know. What it, the hell happened? It was insane on Thursday. Um, I was it, sweating. Yeah, it was 75 <laughs> degrees on Thursday and then 45 degrees the next day. And then now it's like 30 degrees today. Yeah. Which I think it's safe to say we're in the throes of winter. Son of a bitch. Yeah, we are in a northern-ish climate, I would say. Um, So snow is about to come. I mean, if there's any kind of precipitation going to enter our area, it's going to be in the form of snow. It was a little bit on the way here. It stopped, but... Oh, there was flurries. There was flurries. Oh, damn. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's... You know, it's funny... The the uh, cycles that we go through, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you get from the beginning of the year, you're kind of, it's like winter is never ending. You're like, okay, May, <laughs> maybe, May, yeah. April, maybe. Well, you, you can pretty much count on no more snow in April, but there has been snow in April. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, May is still kind of cold-ish, and then you get to, you know, Memorial Day and all that stuff, and then you can pretty much, you know, throw on the shorts and never look back. Um, but... You know, it, going into November, it's almost like it's like walking through the gates of hell. You're like, all right, this is this is what's going on. Like, uh, I've got six months of darkness and and cold and winter and ice and flurries and yeah. snow. And from what I've heard, we've got a quite a winter ahead of us. It's oh, like, yeah? It is going oh, to be shit. a winter of discontent from what I've heard. Yes. Ugh. Well, my job normally, like, we don't work as much in the winter, but the past couple of years, that has not been the truth. Yeah, there's there's a lot of industries out there where winter, you know, business kind of slows down. Uh, yeah. No one wants to do it, especially in our climate. You know, we are in northern Illinois, but... Yeah. Uh, we never slow down. <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> yeah, I, my job does not slow down at all. Like, yeah. I mean... Yes, sometimes people, you know, don't want to do projects until like, the, you know, March or April or whatever. But there's a lot of pre- preparation that goes into what my job does. Mm-hmm. Um, my son turned uh, 13. Yeah. Since we last saw. spoke. 
And it's weird having a child that you have raised, and now he's 13. He's, he's becoming a little Adonis, that, that motherfucker. <laughs> you know? He's like Tarzan. Like he, he's, he's working out, he's weightlifting, and he just turned 13. He's got long hair. And I'm starting to have he's those... officially con- a teenager. Yeah, he's officially a teenager. I'm starting to have those sex conversations with him. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, because he is a good-looking little... Uh, lad. He's, he's a good-looking lad. <laughs> Um, there's been girls that have come by and, uh, really? yes. And he's gone off with them like various girls. Yeah. And I'm like, what's uh, going on here, Johnny? You know, what's various. He is Johnny jr. Yeah. Hey, uh, oh, and, hey. And, collar uh, lifted. <laughs> <laughs> he can pop his collar. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's weird having, you know, yeah, it's it's just weird having a kid oh, grow I'm up sure, and, man. Yeah. and do that, and you know, know you know, knowing him from a baby, and you know, taking care of him, nurturing them, and not by him. you, but it was never told to me. <laughs> oh, it wasn't the sex talk was never. You know, was, you know that wasn't a thing. The I... closest thing I got to a sex talk was in my high school graduation. My I, I borrowed some socks, you know, black socks from my dad, and yeah. uh, I was like up in my room changing. And there was a condom in, <laughs> in, in the uh, wrapped up in the socks, you know, that were, you know, uh, joined, you know. And I was like, okay. Bear in mind, I did lose my virginity like a year prior, so <laughs> he was completely clueless to what I was doing. Um, but yeah, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's like I'm having this talk with him, and it, it's so odd. You know, I always thought. You know, as a kid, you know, it's going to be awkward having a, a conversation with your oh, parents yeah, I'm sure. about sex and all that stuff. And, and now I'm a parent and I'm like, it's still awkward. I'm like, oh, yeah. How do how do I phrase it where it's not weird and still a parent? And, yeah. you know, because I'll say this, you know, being a parent, it, you, you, you want to be friendly with your kids. But you also want to have that authoritarian presence in in front mm-hmm. of them, because mm-hmm. you can't just let them do whatever they want. You know, it's like you gotta, you know, kind of be there as a guide, but also uh, a police officer, essentially. You know, because it's like <laughs> if they're gonna defy you, it's like you have to have an answer to or what. You know, it's like you tell them do the dishes. You're like or what? <laughs> you have to have an answer. Yeah. Uh, that's hilarious. I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. Uh, that's not cool. So, but it's like you have to have that. You have to, you know, balance that relationship with your kid where they just right. gotta do what you say without the threat of violence. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. No, uh, I pretty much just had my mom for most of my youth. You know, I had a couple stepdads, but uh, she was all the authority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can needed. see that. She was mom and dad. She... Yeah, she's a uh, feisty uh, Spanish lady. <laughs> yeah. And I could see being scared of her. I, yeah. I can really see being scared Especially of her. Especially the young me. version of her. Yeah, she loves me now. I remember the last time I went to your house and she was, oh, yeah. she was like, ah! Now, she, now she's a little old lady. It's fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny the evolution that you go through with uh, raising children and raging against the machine. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Speaking of raging. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> we are talking about the 1992 well, I guess 1991 band. 91, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. Rage Against the Machine. 
Uh, that is the topic for today. Hell yeah, get your uh, cowbells out. Yeah, get your cowbells, get your <laughs> communist flags, get your uh, um, bread lines. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Your cool shoulder tattoos. Yeah, get your Che Guevara t-shirts out. <laughs> Your shoulder tattoos. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, that's what we're talking about today is uh, Rage Against the Machine. Hell uh, yeah. They, are a, they were formed in 1991 out of Southern California, consisting of Timmy, Timmy Comerford. Southern California. Tommy Morello. Bradley Wilk and Zachary De La Roca. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, is it Rocha or is it Roca? I don't know. I don't know. Everybody says it a little different. Yeah, I've always heard Zach De La Roca. Depends on how white you are. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> Zach De La Roca. I mean, Rocha, that, I mean, that doesn't sound right. It's like De Zach De La Roca. De La Roca. <laughs> um, they're known for being, you know, kind of the pioneers of new metal, which we'll talk about a little bit in, in a Even little bit. Even though they did not like new metal. They did not embrace it, much no. like a lot of the early grunge bands didn't. Embrace the label of grunge. They did not embrace the the um, um, label of being the, the mm-hmm. founders of new metal, which kind of they are because, you know, they were, you know, in that era of rap and rock kind of meshing, and they were one of the earliest ones. I mean, you mm-hmm. had the corny bullshit of Aerosmith and Run DMC, you know, right. doing Walk oh, This yeah, Way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you had Anthrax and Public Enemy sure. doing their thing. So there was some rock rap across the Yeah, we get it. But them. it was like, here's our one song that we're like trying that out, but like never again. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. they're, it's it, like a taste. It was that a novelty. They, they yeah. said, hey, we you can do this. And then... The next generation said, we want to do this, but we want to make our sound that. Yeah, form a band around you it. Know, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's when Korn and, and all of them really came out and pioneered it. Right. And like you said, they hate that that label <laughs> that they have of, of kind of starting new metal, but they yeah. did. I mean, you can listen to a lot of what Tom, Tom Morello does on the guitar and right. relate it right to Korn or, or Limp Biscuits or any of the other new metal it's a you know new metal's weird because i would say corn and limp biscuit are pretty much like the top two of new metal mm-hmm. and then there's a certain offshoots that i don't really know or i can't really think about but it's like you think about rap rock well i wouldn't even would you put corn in a rap rock type situation or label man yeah that's tough um i think they were put in it like at the time, because there was wasn't really anything else, especially um, giant in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So um, I think Limp Biscuit was really the the the, the, the true the, the like, spark that started new metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as like rap, yeah, rock. rap rock like, or Kid know. Rock. I mean, look at Kid Rock. You know, he he. You know, oh sure, say, he's definitely say what you in want there. about Kid Rock. I mean, he was he's. Obviously, a multimillionaire, and, right. and people love Kid Rock. You've, he can do ever rap met, rock. He can do country. He's. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever met a, like a, a, a like a true Kid Rock fan? I've met a couple of like no. hardcore Kid Rock fans, and I'm no. like, okay, okay, uh, you like him, but there's millions of people out there that just love Kid Rock. They just refer know? to him like by his real name and shit. Yeah, was it Rob Ritchie or something? I don't know. <laughs> something. something like that. 
but you know, yeah, Rage. You know, they kind of started the rap rap rock revolution. Uh, you, yeah. you can argue Beastie Boys did it, but they kind of did it as a parody almost, like with "Fight to Your Right to Party" and sure. Uh, yeah. But you know, th- that was really only their rock rock and roll song. They were pretty much you know underground rap type group. Yeah, I would say at the most, like if they used like real drums and you know guitars and shit that's when you kind of like fall more into the rock and yeah maybe beastie boys yeah they did touch that a little bit but like you said probably just not enough yeah rage is definitely the the bigger i would say they're a pioneer of the rap rock yeah Mm -hmm. i'd say they're one of the first to actually make their band about it um and you know i famously uh timmy cumberford uh says that he hates that oh, Limp sure. Biscuit puts them as a, a, an influence. He's like, I'm sorry, we paved the way for Limp Biscuit. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> you know, just like, I can't stand that we're an influence of Limp Biscuit. Yeah. Because, you know, Limp Biscuit was kind of, and in full disclosure, I like Limp Biscuit's first, first album. First album, yeah. The $3 bill, y'all. Yeah. That is a very good album. Like I've tripped acid so many times to that, and just <laughs> rocked the hell out to that. No, album. I agree. It, it, it's a it's a great album. It's it's. Fred had a scream that was like insane on that. Yeah, first yeah. No album. one ever heard or yeah. no one ever heard before. Yeah. Um, the subsequent albums, not so much. I don't. No. It, it, it just became too commercialized and too like angry white guy music, and I just yeah. kind of. Did not care after that first album, but that first album has so many good songs on it. Right, um, and, and we always talk about one, you know it's one of those I can listen to front to back. You know, it's like yeah, there's you know counterfeit, you know, but it, at the time it was one of the, you know, it, they were their own sound. I'll say, yeah, and they created you know when they did Faith, I think it created an idea in bands that were becoming new metal. That like, hey, if we take a song that is so not, you know, in our genre and morph it into something that is our genre, that is metal, you know, and make it kick ass, like we could get popular like they did. And because, man, I swear at that point in time, like everybody was trying to find their faith and try to metal it out and uh you know it it became a common (laughs) theme with every band they'd have one or two songs that they did and but they just really captured that magic in a bottle like with that song and it blew them up yeah absolutely and then when you hear it the first time you're like yeah if you're a metalhead you're like yeah it sounds good you know (laughs) know, even such a stupid song like man they they kicked ass on it yeah absolutely now i can't stand that fucking song It's been played out <laughs> so much. Like, I remember a friend of mine, uh, he was telling a story to me about, they were at a campground, and he was with his stepdad, and, like, the campsite over, they had an acoustic guitar, and the guy would not stop saying, <laughs> playing the faith. The and he said his stepdad went over and smashed his fucking guitar. He's like, you're never playing that riff again. No way. <laughs> That's the story I heard. That's the story? Oh, shit. Yeah. 
<laughs> I wasn't there, but I could see that. Like, yeah. listening to jinch, chicka jinch, chicka jinch, chicka chicka jinch. If I heard that all night, I'd probably want to do the same thing, but I don't have the balls to go and just smash the shit out of the guitar like Jim Belushi in Animal House. Yeah, because, you know, what happens, that dude stands up and he's he's twice as big as you and shit. Yeah, right. Just beats your ass. If you play that song one more time. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh. I heard it wasn't wasn't even a threat. There wasn't, he just went over and smashed the guitar. That's great. Like Jim Belushi and Animal House, yeah. Um... But yeah, this uh, show was about Rage Against the Machine. They started in 1991. Um, I guess Zach De La Roca was a part of a, a, a hardcore band called Inside Out, and they had a song called Rage Against the Machine. And then he met yeah. Tom Morello and Brad Wilk and Tim Comerford, and uh, they liked the name of the, the song, and they formed the band uh, Rage Against the Machine. They are Southern bada California. Bing, boom. Yeah, they're a Southern California <laughs> band, and you know it's it's weird. I guess it's not weird. I mean, California is kind of the land of creativeness, pretty much. I mean, look at look yeah. at this time in the early '90s. Look at the bands that came out of Southern California. You got The Offspring. You got Incubus. You got mm-hmm. um, Rage Against the Machine. No doubt. Uh, and I'm forgetting a lot more, but you know, yeah. like at the in the early '90s. Southern California was the place to be, and mm-hmm. I think the radio station K Rock was uh, a big part of that. You know, and you, labels were eating them up. Yeah, you know, they were still signing th- deals with these people. You know, right off their first album, like you know, not even having having to do and really gruel. You know, for for Grind, several yeah. or yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but not really sweet you know. nurturous gruel. <laughs> All right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, keep going. But no, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they get signed right away, and it really, at this point now, you know, they've been doing it, you know, 30 years, and they still, you know, have those labels behind them. But bands now, they could never, you know. Well, the music industry now is a lot different than it used to be. I mean, like, with the story of Rage, yeah, they were a band for six months, and... Uh, the first record label that came to them was Epic Records, <laughs> yeah. backed by Sony. That's what I'm you saying, know, yeah. You know, they were, I mean, there's bands like, uh, the bands in Seattle, you know, there were a bunch of independent labels that had to sign all these all these guys and kind of promote them, and they, those bands had to grind. But if you were a SoCal band like Rage or mm-hmm. Offspring or, or, or anything like that, well, I want to say Offspring because I believe they're, when they did Smash, that was they were on an independent label, and they had like the largest, like I think they have like a record of the most, album sales on an independent label with when smash came out i don't think they were on a a, a major label when smash oh, came okay. out okay uh, damn but, that was a good album oh uh, smash was an awesome album <laughs> i still Dude. listen to that album man yeah i have you know you know listening to you know doing research for a lot of our music podcasts um it makes me want to listen to a lot more music like today i'm again i just turned 40 not too long ago and all I do is listen to audiobooks and and uh, podcasts. Yeah. You know, I like to hear people talk about ideas and and get further knowledge about things. But I gotta I gotta stop that and just kind of go back to a lot of music, you know. And <laughs> listening to uh, the first Rage album this morning, man, I'm like oh, bebopping yeah, and scatting and just you know That's ba- head banging. I'm like, man, this shit rocks, you know. Yeah, I came up like uh, me and a few musician friends of mine were like. 
we got to get a, you know, cover band where we just do like a few bands that we loved from that time. And Rage Against the Machine was one of them. Incubus was the other one. And then we did Chili Peppers. And right. Our Rage Against the Machine slot was always like our ending slot because it had so much energy and power and everybody was pretty drunk by that point, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but you would see just like the change in like every set and that set, man, would fire up everybody. Every one of those songs was amazing and fun to play. And yeah, I just, I, I love this band. So I, I, I love all those early songs, but really like every album they put out like went to number one like, yeah so they always had a minimum of like you know three four hits on every album so even though this first one was like the mega of all of them yeah and it's crazy that the first album was like the first 12 songs that they ever recorded right you know they, they were like they didn't have like a catalog of other shit. right like every like, song this is all we got this is all we got and every song on that album fucking cooks you yeah know? It, it, it's like you know it gets at you can it gets you ramped up it makes you want to be a commie it makes, <laughs> makes you want to you know, start throwing eggs at every major corporation that you that you that you know. It makes you want to stop drinking Coca Cola and uh, throw away your Nikes and uh, start protesting Jesus. the child minds everywhere. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, aside from aside from the political messages, which I'll get to in a minute, but like the musicianship of everybody yeah. uh, is very good. Uh, Tom Morello is pretty much a pioneer. With what he did with the guitar, uh, I can't say so much about the the rhythm section with, um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Brad Wilk and uh, Tim Comerford. But being that this was their first album, there's a lot of good stuff on there. It's like you can hear a lot of funk, you can hear a lot of soul. Yeah, in it's there, what's you know? needed. The rhythm yeah. section they play what's needed to make those songs like really groove it and really back up those insane vocals and yeah and it makes it you know. the, the and you're right the, the rhythm section was is what makes it unique yeah um uh with tom morello it's like tom morello is kind of separate from the rhythm section oh yeah yeah you know what i mean it's like he's almost a dj right you know on the guitar <laughs> even though he'll play a lot of power chords and you know I, and and i will give him credit because he doesn't do he does power chords a lot uh he does a lot of drop d um but aside from that basic stuff that he does on the guitar, he will take those uh, uh, those solos and those bridges to you know heights that no one has ever done yeah. before. You know, he was kind of a pioneer in yep. making that guitar kind of a, a turntable. You know, right. I know he's got a lot of triggers on on his guitar. Uh, he he fucks with the pickups a lot. He does a lot of scratching and all that. And he was kind of the pioneer of that. And you can oh, hear, yeah. like I was saying, you can hear a lot of that in Corn. You can hear a lot of that in, in, in other bands and what Tom Morello did. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's incredibly difficult to, to kind of do it, but to be the mind that creates it is where it's at. And yeah, exactly. That's, that, it blows me away to, that somebody would have created something like that. At the age of, like, 19. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That, that's what he's like a puppy dude yeah well and you know 
Well, the more we talk about music and the more that the older I get, it's like all these bands are like, they're like 18 to 23 yeah. that they're creating all this awesome music. It's like you think Man, about the yeah. 27 Club, like <laughs> Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison, all, Jimi Hendrix, yeah. they all died at 27. They were insane masters of their craft before the age of 27. And I'm, yeah. I just feel like such a loser. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I haven't yeah. done anything. Like what they did, you know, before they created a lot of original music and a lot of it I'm super proud of. But it's like, uh, oh, yeah, it's hard when, uh, you know, it really doesn't go anywhere and you're just kind of like uh, floating. Yeah. I mean, just as of like, you know, a year or two ago, I really stopped writing music and. I feel okay with that because it's been like, you know, I'm in my 40s now. And right. And you're like, I'm past my prime. I've really I, put all of my youth into it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm okay with that now. But it's uh, it's a tough, tough road. I was going to say, did you wrestle with that for a while? You're like, because, you know, for those in the audience who don't know, Tony is kind of, you know, the drummer of our area. You know, a lot of bands. <laughs> it, I'm, and I'm going to suck your dick for you for a, for a little bit. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Tony's been known as like the drummer everybody wants, you know, like whether it's a metal band, whether it's a groove band, whatever it is, uh, they want Tony because he's super tight. He's really good. Doesn't fuck up a lot. He's sober. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't drink. He doesn't do drugs. You know, he's like the perfect package. And you've had some success. You did a couple of tours with a lot of, uh, unknown bands. Yeah. I mean, very little. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say, you know, you haven't gotten your due, and yeah. but you're starting to make money with the bands that you're in now. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's, it's more like just, it's fun for me. And right. And that's what right now where I'm at is more important than trying to write music yeah. and deal with band members that are, you know, are prima donnas, like, this is my art. And, and yeah, just trying or, to. Or, or just, uh, you know, when you do, like, say, y- you have to write for right. for like, like you have album a deadline. stuff, and you you have a deadline. That's extremely difficult. Yeah, I'd imagine. You know what I mean? And then it's like, is it good enough? And then you know, or if you get into uh, a studio where there's a producer and he starts like, you know changing what you're writing at what point are you like not happy with that or, or not trusting the producer yeah like, so Who are you but <laughs> a lot of that's what a lot of people don't understand that behind the curtain is like you know that producer is as important as the band members themselves yeah and it's just yeah exactly what you said like how many people are going to be cool with it or how many are going to be prima donnas and start being like this is my art yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) so and uh then it's like well how long is this fun anymore right so that's why i love what i do now because it's like a hundred percent fun right you know so I'd rather do this than. <laughs> well, especially at your age, you know, it's like you're. You know, and I'm like, older. I always yeah. remembered I had an uncle that I think I was in my early 30s. And I think he said to me, he's like, just understand, like, how long doing this is too long. Yeah. And I was like, uh, 
shut up, man. You know what I mean? In yeah, my head, I'm like, shut up. But no, man, I still I'm think make about it. that. I'm 32. Yeah. yeah, I still thought about that. And, you know, yeah. Unless, I, unless you're already a huge in a huge band, nobody wants to see, like, an 50, 60-year-old <laughs> yeah. guy up there still trying to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> playing originals yeah. that are terrible, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's it. It's like whether, you know, between the ages of 18 and 23, you better, that's the... It's prime time. Yeah. Right? And you better move to California or move somewhere <laughs> where the music scene's hot or else you're not going to go anywhere. If, yeah. you know, if you want to make it big... Be between the ages of 18 and 23. Right. Move. You can't be in the Midwest. You can't be, you know, in Georgia. You can't be in Colorado. Go to yeah. L.A., New York. or. And talent even... is important, man, because when, when you, like what we're talking about, Rage Against the Machine or, or bands like, uh, you know, Incubus and stuff, their talent level is so high. Yeah. Where it's like you got to be as talented or create something that is to the mass appeal mm-hmm. to even, like, compete with that and that and that's like well, that's maybe not entirely true but it's like that's how you feel as a musician you look at things you're like he's so fucking good like yeah how could i even you know yeah. i can't do anything like that well i would say with rage against the machine like you know you know you just said incubus like incubus it didn't have mass appeal type stuff. Yeah, that, that the, first the album didn't. No. Yeah. But Rage Against the Machine, that first album, that was <laughs> mass appeal, yeah. dude. They had magic yeah. in a bottle with that. So, right. you know, on top of that, you know, you have a frontman like Zach Delarocca, and I'll just say at the at at, at the get go, I don't agree with a lot of what Rage Against the Machine stands stands for. No, um, right. They're a very very political bands. Um, they're straight up communists and we'll get, we'll get a little bit to, and a little bit to that, but Zach DeLaRocca is the front man of front men. You know, he's soft spoken. Mm-hmm. He rarely does interviews. He's like a Jim Morrison type. Yeah. Almost. Uh, I guess Jim Morrison did a lot of interviews. Um, but he doesn't do a whole lot of interviews. He's very soft spoken outside of the stage. But when he gets on that stage, even you watch a lot of their early stuff, man, that guy ex- explodes on stage. Oh, yeah, dude. He's just, he's got that passion of a front man. And he believes everything that he that's coming out of it himself, like uh-huh. with the lyrics and just looking at him. He's like the perfect front man. I don't know. And he he's kind of a weird looking dude. I don't mm-hmm. know if he's white. I don't know if he's got like uh, he's probably. I know, think he's got like a he's Hispanic like a Hispanic and <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Native American a little bit. I don't know what he is, yes. but uh, he's got no eyebrows. That's one thing I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, he he almost looks like Bob or not Bob Marley. Maybe they're just the same color as his skin. No, but they're like lower, (laughs) they're like almost inside of his eye socket. Maybe that's what he's got. Uh, Uh, But regardless, he's a great front man. Like you watch a lot of those early shows, you watch a lot of the concerts that he's on. He's got such passion and uh, charisma on stage, and for him to not do a lot of the you know interviews and. Uh, public appearances it, it creates a bit of mystery and kind of i think you know, he has to man to like to push the political stuff as much as he does he really needs to bring it because you can't be like a softy at well he's got to bring it on stage you mean yeah yeah okay. and then like yeah some of the stuff he did off stage you know maybe was because at that time he's also got in trouble for a lot of shit and he was doing a lot of like overseas stuff and getting his nose into stuff that maybe he, a musician probably didn't need to. Right. Um, so you can question all that, but again, I think he just 
his lyrics mean everything to him so much so that that's how he wanted to live his life and uh i don't know it's yeah and you know you know this is kind of we're going all over the place with it so we don't have like the because i got a lot of i got a lot of things to say about rage because i love their music their first two albums i love a lot um battle of los angeles i don't like as much no. as no, no, I, I felt like it was way too radio friendly. I don't know if that makes sense. Like it, it, it like testify and guerrilla radio. Yeah. And I felt like I'm sure there's deeper meaning in their song in those songs, but I, it, I felt like it strayed from their overall message, which kind yeah. of turned me off a little bit. And it did have commercially like, yeah, it was commercially better. Oh, absolutely. So that, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that first, like, and, and that's where I'm going to go with this is like, I'm not going to go too much into Prophets of Rage or Renegades uh, because I thought both of those projects were shit. Like, I, I thought they were terrible. <laughs> I'm, I, I, and also because I, I think I got too Renegades old. like came out like after they were already broken up, which right, is hilarious. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> they're uh-huh. just like, they're gone. Here's a. Yeah, the release. Renegades of Funk, like <laughs> that song I hated, you know, I, I, I didn't like it at all. Um, but yeah, so the band started in uh, Southern California. Uh, Zach and Timmy Comerford were uh, childhood friends. Yeah. Tom Morello grew like up sixth not too... grade or some shit. Yeah, they something were like that. Real early, yeah. Yeah, and Zach was in a, a, a hardcore band called Inside Out. And um, I don't know, I didn't see too much about Tim. It's hard to find a lot of information about Tim Comerford, aside from a couple instances we're gonna get to. Uh, but his early days are are not really well known. Mm. Uh, uh, even the, with the drummer Brad Wilk, uh, I guess uh, John Knox was their first drummer. I guess it was one of their childhood friends. So yeah, and they later found Brad Wilk. Um, I think he even kind of helped them find Brad. So it sounded oh, really? to me like he just kind of bowed out. Right, he was just kind of not into it right. and, and all yeah. that. Um, and it's crazy what they what they did. Yeah, they were a band for six months, and they got signed to Epic Records. <laughs> um, what I was oh, that's what I was getting into. Uh, Tom Morello grew up not too far from here, Libertyville, Illinois. That's right. Yeah, he grew up in <laughs> like right. literally a half hour from where we're yeah. sitting right now. Um, I guess his dad was like a Kenyan national, or like he had he was he was like a diplomat type person yeah. that, that had. And that was fighting things that were going on in Africa, and that that kind of shaped his political views. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he went to Harvard. Mm, yes. Harvard. Yes. He's a Harvard man. Oh. Uh, I forget. I and I'm not looking it up right now, but I forget what he did at Harvard. But he graduated, and then he moved to California, and he was good friends with uh, what's his name, Adam uh, from Tool, um, Adam Smith, Adam. The guitar player, uh, the guitar from, player, yeah, the guitar uh, player. I don't remember his name. Man, we did a Tool episode too, and like, yeah, <laughs> I know, I can't believe I, I can't I, think of his you name. Know, I can't remember. But shit. you know, they were good friends, and uh, <laughs> you know, they, they had there was like this, you know, music scene in Southern California at that time. There was like a lot of bands like Tool and Rage Against the Machine right. and Offspring, and uh, they all knew each other and they all yeah. opened for each other. Like even Primus, you know, mm-hmm. one of the earliest shows that uh, um. Uh, Rage Against the Machine open for was Porno for Pyros with Perry Farrell. Yeah. Or Perry Farrell. <laughs> Yuck. But you know, it was a it was a band. It was it's like right. You know, it was the early night. Man, I wish I grew up. I wish I was eighteen in, the, in like nineteen ninety one in right. Southern California. No, and just 
It's like buying a lottery ticket. It's like, because yeah. I can play guitar, you can play drums, let's start a yeah. fucking band. And just <laughs> say funk. That's shit. how they just did it. <laughs> yeah, They're exactly. like, oh, you do that. You, hey, let's jam. Well, it's like you look at all those bands like Offspring, No Doubt, and uh, Rage Against the Machine, and Tool, and a lot of those bands just like come up with some funky, you know, have some funky roots, funk roots, uh, some punk roots, some yeah. reggae roots, start a band, and boom, yeah. fucking success. Right. And. Well, first you got to live in an apartment with 12 people. Right, yeah. You have to like heroin. <laughs> be real smelly, yep. yeah. Probably half year on heroin. <laughs> uh, but yeah, one of their first shows was opening for Porno for Pyros. Um, and you can go online and you can watch their uh, first like recorded session. It was like at UC Riverside. And Zach De La Roca has this, you know, early 90s haircut, <laughs> yeah. like the long white sleeve Shirt yeah. with the green shirt above He's it. Really looking like a kid in that one. Yeah, and Tom Morello and Tim Comerford and even the drummer, like they're all shirtless with yeah. in every single <laughs> show that they did. Like, who do you think you are, Chili Peppers? <laughs> yep, it was hot. Yeah, <laughs> it is definitely hot in California. Um, but yeah, the the early days of Rage is something to, it's like almost nostalgic, you know, like looking at a lot of that old stuff. And like like I said, being in Southern California in the early 90s was a goldmine if you know how to play guitar right. and you had some good influences, you know. Um, but the 90s were awesome. The 90s were awesome. And that's why we do this show. <laughs> that's why we're doing it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they do their first album. They get signed by Sony or, or Epic Records, which is a division of Sony. And they go on tour forever. And between... 1992, when they released their first self-titled album, and 1996 is when they did their second say. album. That's <laughs> a long like time years. between albums. Yeah, uh, but let's go through. Let's go through some of their um, tracks of their first album. Oh, I mean, it opens with bomb every track. one of them is every one of them, man. You can't, you can't miss bomb track. <laughs> it's like yeah, the, the, and it's you know another thing. It's funny watching. Their early stuff and how they tweaked the songs to what yeah. to what went on the on the record, you know. Right. And uh, killing, like they started playing killing. I was watching this one video of that UC Riverside thing where they were playing killing in the name of. There was no lyrics to it. They just opened the show with yeah. it. They were just like. Nur, 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 nur. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, great song. Probably because that song was like just written like <laughs> a month ago. Yeah, they were like, oh, I don't have lyrics yet to it, it, so let's just play it. It's a, it'll be a filler. Yeah, and like I was saying earlier, like the rhythm section does, you know, really stand out with them. You know, I don't know so much. Do you? Well, let me ask you, what, what do you think about the drumming of Rage Against the Machine? <laughs> because I, uh, I, you know, as an outsider, not a drummer or anything like that, and not really paying attention to a lot of it. The bass stands out a lot because, like, it, yeah, because it actually has like breaks from the bass does, burm, burm, yeah, yeah, crazy shit, you know. Yeah, um, there, it's not too difficult. Um, it's definitely, you know, utilized as like the groove. So, with stuff like that, you don't need to be, you know, flashy. And that's okay. exactly what he was. He was not flashy, had very minimal, you know, like we were kind of laughing. He had one symbol, 
Yeah. One uh-huh. ride, mm-hmm. one China. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, but very the, cowbells. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, he did Just, a lot with the cowbells. Yeah, so it's, it's, I don't know, he, but he was like that forever. So, um, I guess he just felt that, uh, you know, he didn't need to really play a lot of stuff towards these songs. And it proves it in how good the songs comes out. But yeah. Would you if say- you were to stick somebody else in there that maybe was a little more flashy, I, I, it'd be interesting to see. Would you categorize him as the right drummer for the right band? One of those kind, like Ringo yeah, Star? that's really all you can do. You know is, I mean? Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing flashy about him. I don't him. want he to talk. Have a sig- yeah, he doesn't have a signature style. It's yeah. just he's just playing music. That's like the best thing to say without being like, uh, he's not. You know, because it, it's not that he's not good. He's good oh, no, he's at great. what he does. He's right. great, but uh, it, it's not like what he I does- would do to it. You know what I mean? Well, he doesn't have a signature style. <laughs> and what I what, I, what is what I would say. It's like you can't like if he were to play for another band, you wouldn't say, "Oh shit, that's Brad Wilk." No, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's true. I would say the biggest thing he had going for him was uh, the cowbells in the. Uh... That's it. <laughs> that's I mean, right. really, just the nobody blink, used blink, cowbells. Blink, 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 he used it in a few songs. Like I said, I, I was. Right. Uh, you know, I covered a lot of their songs, and I had to buy a whole set of them because. Oh, he does use. He a lot does of them. use them. Okay, so it's. Uh, you know, it, it's like I never thought. Interesting. Know, there's those prominent point points in the songs where you can actually hear them, like the "End Killing in the Name" and yeah. a lot of those, you know, instances like that. But it's like I don't notice them a whole lot. Yeah, I've seen him in a set one time where he didn't even have a rack tom. It was just the cowbells and a floor tom. <laughs> so then maybe he's the original cowbell guy. So <laughs> he's maybe, He needed more cowbell. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Right, right, right guy for the right job. Exactly. That's what you gotta be. Let's Nobody take a, complained. Let's take a break, my friend. Right on. We'll be back with the rest of the Retro Movies and Money Show. You're listening to the Retro Movies and Metal Show. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, Bomb Track was a bomb track. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, every, pretty much every song on that album was awesome. Killing in the Name, yeah. which has only eight lines. I think I already said that, but yeah. it has only eight lines repeated over and over again. Yep. I think it was famously featured on the Matrix uh, uh, soundtrack, or maybe oh, yeah. was it Killing yeah. in the Name? Uh-huh. Uh, maybe it was something else. Take the Power Back was, a good, was another good one. Uh, sounds like a Public Enemy song, but uh, okay. yeah, which, which one was the fuck you? I won't do what you tell me. It was, was Killing, that, in, the killing in the Name. Yeah, yeah. So like <clears throat> when that first got released, that was like their first single when they got signed, right? And it went to a radio station on the BBC or whatever. Um, And they put it in, and the first play, obviously, you know, there's like 18 F-words, you know, all in a row, you know. And uh, so he played the unedited version by accident, and all the (laughs) F-words went over the air. Yeah, I think I read that uh, too. Yeah, it caused quite a scene. It caused quite a scene. Um, that's happened one more time, but they caught it like 
you know, after the first like couple, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, a pretty hilarious thing to have happen on a radio station yeah, on to a play radio station, <laughs> on a, on yeah, it's like version. NPR playing Fuck yeah. you, I won't do what you tell me. <laughs> uh, but yeah take the power back good song settle for nothing good song settle for nothing <laughs> and that's what I'll say about him is like he can repeat the same line over and over again and still have every ounce of passion from the yeah. first time he says it to the last time he says it you know he, he's got such stage presence he's got such passion in his lyrics and in his voice that in his, his stage presence that you know it, it's unmatched by a lot of people i mean i'm oh, sure yeah, there's man. some people that have uh, that i can't think of but no he, he's unmatched like he believes what he says and he's got such passion with it it's that's why I like this yeah, band. Yeah, because those like, are like they believe uh, what they what they're. Those what are words saying. of protest, you know. Right. So he has to be strong and, mm-hmm. and and say them with conviction, and you know. And he does it from raise his arm up. Yeah, and, and, you know? and, and he's dancing, he's, he's you know, shuffling and scatting around the stage and break dancing, and he, he's doing his thing, man. You can't give it. You can't. You can't take that away from Zach Delarocca. He's he's quite a front yeah. man. Uh, Bullet in the Head. I think it's my favorite song off yeah. of this off of this album. Hell yeah! Uh, know your enemy. That's the one with with uh, Maynard James Keenan. That's probably my favorite song off this album. Uh, and yeah, Maynard was good friends, or uh, I'm sorry, Tom Morello was good friends with Adam Smith or whatever his name is. God, I can't believe I can't remember his last name. <laughs> Then uh, that's how they got. Maynard. That's why I don't attempt these things. I say the guitar player of Tool. Yeah, the guitar the player of Tool was good of... friends with the guitar player overage Tom Morello, <laughs> and that's how they. You know, and I always thought I'm like, how did they get Maynard on their first album? You know, yeah. And it's like, what's with this collaboration? You know, how how did they get that? But they were good friends, and it was because it's so- Maynard, dude. He can and, do what he wants. Well, it, no, it was the SoCal scene, and they all knew each other. So it's yeah. like, hey, you want to do a? Uh, do they a probably spot slept on, on each other's couch at one point. Yeah, and we're also talking about 1991, so it's like no one was super famous at that time. We're like, hey, yeah, fuck it, let's bring this guy in and do a cameo. They had no idea that this shit was going to be super right. huge like it did. Uh, Wake Up is the next song. It's a very good song. Fistful of Steel. Mm, mm, very hell good song. yeah. <laughs> With a fistful of steel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it makes me want to get up and I know, just man. groove it's out. Like, it just makes you want to fucking pump your fist yeah. and be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Township Rebellion. I know the song. I've listened to it a thousand times, but I can't recall it based on the title of the song. <laughs> Can you? No. Township. <laughs> exactly. I've no I've heard, I've no I've listened to this album like a thousand times front to back. Ten thousand times. Yeah, I know all the songs except for the track nine, Township Rebellion. I can't think of what it is. All I have is with the fist full of steel in my head right now. <laughs> Uh, and then freedom. Oh yeah, man. Freedom. Hell yeah. 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 It's fantastic. Ten tracks. Uh, there's three other tracks: bomb track live, bullet in the head live, and uh, take the power back live. Um, Five sided fistagon. That was, uh, I think, on the next album, Evil Empire. Mm. That five sided fistagon. That was a. a a uh, Call of Duty tag. You remember playing Modern Warfare Two, or maybe it was Modern Warfare Three, or something like that. Like it was like uh, you got a, you know an award that said Five Sided Fistagon. Oh uh, really? Uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah you must have got it. I did get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, excellent, excellent album. I mean, 
I agree. You can best listen. one. I, I agree. The best one. Um, Evil Empire was their uh, follow up to it, and I will say, this is the you know when I first heard them, which was Bulls on Parade. Bulls oh, on yeah. Parade was the first song I ever heard by Rage. I didn't know anything about their first album, but Bulls on Parade was like all over MTV. Oh yeah, they really got pushed. I mean, I think it was a Beavis and right Butthead number thing. one. You yeah. Know. Yeah, exactly. I think it was on Beavis and Butthead. And, <laughs> of course it was. Um, <laughs> let me look up the uh, Evil Empire. Because I'm not super familiar with uh, this album as much as I am with the first album. Yeah. But they do have a lot of good tracks on this song, or on this album. And I don't know it as well, but once I lay, lay out the uh, titles of this album, you're going to know. People of the Sun, that's their first one. That's Hell, a great song. Yeah. Uh, Bulls on Parade, again. I think that that's probably their most commercially successful song, I would say. Yeah, I hate you? That song. I mean, they probably got a couple. Of, they, they got like Killing in the Name. That's what everyone knows. That's what made them famous. Um, but Bulls on Parade, that was like everywhere. And like, yeah, because that's, you know, everybody was like. Oh, they thought that was so cool what Tom was doing with, you know, the guitar and the pedal thing. And yeah, that warrant, 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 So, yeah, really... it was probably their most well-known. But I think the song that stands with them from beginning to end of career has been killing. You know, yeah, definitely. For sure. Um Bulls on Parade, Vietnam. I don't recall yeah, that. Yeah, hell yeah. I that's don't recall a, that. That's a good song. Uh, Revolver, I know that one. Snake Charmer, Tire Me. I don't recall that off the top of my head, but Down Rodeo. Oh, I like yeah. That. I like that one. That's a good one. Rolling Down Rodeo <laughs> with a shotgun. Yep. Uh, and again, like I didn't, this is, I never owned this album. I just listened to, you know, their. Oh, hits, really? You know? Yeah, I never oh, owned this okay. one. I owned the first one, but I never owned this one. My uncle hated this album. He gave it to me. Oh, really? Yeah. And you rocked I was the shit like, out of Hell it? Hell yeah, <laughs> man. It's the shit. Uh, Without a Face, I know that song. Uh, Wind Below, Roll Right, and You're the Boomerang. That's a really good song, too. I like that one. You're uh, the Boomerang. You're the Boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great album. It, it, it introduced me to Rage Against the Machine with Bulls on Parade. It was all over MTV at the time in 1996 when I was still watching MTV. But yeah, can't go wrong with their first two albums. They had an appearance on uh, Saturday Night Live. Did you Did you hear about this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they, maybe well, they the, cut one of the songs because they wanted to put the flag out, the upside down flag. It was flag. their second flag. They had two flags they wanted to put upside down, which is a distress symbol. Yeah. And they wanted to burn them or something. And uh, they ended up like uh, GE throwing it into, in I forget the the guy that was there. Was he a governor or something? Oh, or? Steve Forbes. Yeah. He oh, was running for president yeah. at the time. And it was weird having Steve Forbes <laughs> yeah, and Rage Against the Machine. machine. I know. It, it was like Somebody the complete opposite. You know? I'm, sure you know. I'm sure Rage was pissed. I was like, we're doing Steve yeah. Forbes episode. Like, what the yeah. fuck, you know? But, you know, they had this appearance where they wanted to, yeah, post a couple of upside down And flags. they threw them out after they played. Like, they were Oh, they tossed them out of, out. Tossed them out yeah, of Rockefeller yeah. Center? Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, good on them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I, 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 I respect their right to protest and do whatever they want with the flag. I'm not a big flag. It's like I do lean kind of right politically, but it's like 
what you want the flag? It's like, I don't understand this worship of the American flag. I'm like, okay, do what you want. I mean, yeah. Again, it just falls to, you know, they they do what they preach, man, and their, you know, their beliefs are their beliefs. And Well, do they? Do Uh-oh. they? Do you do have they? something in your back pocket? Oh, I've got a bunch of things in my back pocket. About <laughs> Here you this go. Point. Like I said, it's like I don't want to be super political. It's like I lean right, but I'm not a hard right person. It's like I don't really care. It's like I got a lot of progressive views and but yeah. it's like for the most part i'm just like yeah everyone just leave everyone else alone you know but they chose to go on saturday night live which is an nbc company um which is owned by general electric and at the time and general electric what do they do they build Make planes flags. and bombs oh. and, and everything <laughs> that bombed iraq which they were really against it's like why would you go on saturday night live if you have all these principles and it's like again why would you sign with this giant corporate entity and as your first record label in epic records which is owned by sony you know it's like they're against corporatism but they're working for all these corporate interests you know it's like no you're not wrong on a lot of that the one thing you know i know that they expl- with- they do explain it away. Tom Morello explains it away, which and he and he only said it one time. And I tried looking for what they say about their you know hip- hypocrisy, you know, because they could have signed with an independent label, been independent. They could you know look, look at what Offspring did, but eventually mm-hmm. you know Offspring signed to Columbia. But I don't fault them for being human, right? Because when you're offered a shit ton of money, eventually it's like you want to make it, you want to make your way in this world and take care of your, yourself and your family and make sure that everyone's taken care of. But that kind of negates a lot of what they preach, you know. Um, that, like I think Tom Morello is worth like thirty-five million dollars. I think you know Zach Delarocca is worth twenty million dollars. Like they're 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 all millionaires, and it all came from this capitalist system that they <laughs> rail against in their music, you know. <laughs> I'm like, well, I know like with that, with, so, okay. So, you know, their record label that they signed with much like some other bands at that time, it was an offshoot of like a bigger label. So therefore they took a contract that was more than likely you earn money and you, you stay on with the label longer than getting a large chunk of money right at the front, and then you may lose that in, say, a couple of years or if your next album doesn't do good. You know, there's always stipulations like that. But they got a three-album deal immediately. <laughs> but, again, I, I'm just saying, like, <clears throat> they probably went They made a chose... business decision. They made a business decision. <laughs> that's, like, that's, how, that's how I break it down. It's like they made a business decision. Right. At a certain point, I'm just saying they big... got a lot of that other money later in their years after earning those number one albums and, and all that shit. And after even after they broke up, they did those reunion shows that, where they were offered an insane amount of money. Yeah. And they did a lot of that. They like gave money towards the charities, all the, the charities they charities. wanted. And yeah, but you know how so, much those tickets cost? Even even though Tom Morello tried to walk this back, saying most of the tickets are are one hundred twenty five dollars, um, but a lot of the tickets were like three hundred dollars. Yeah, know? who's paying three hundred dollars to go see Rage Against the Machine? I mean, I know you and I went and saw Rage, and I forget what, I think it was like $32, like in a reunion yeah, tour. It was yeah. like 2008 or 2009. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was like a general admission. It was like it was, 30 yeah. bucks or 40 bucks. But 
I think in 2018 or 2019 or somewhere around there, they had this reunion tour, and, like, the cheapest ticket was, like, $125 for the fucking nosebleeds. And We saw them outdoors, so I think we got, like, one... Yeah, we, it was lawn. Yeah, exactly. It was almost like a festival. It was like yeah. an Ozfest type thing. But, and that's where, you know, and no, I get this, it. Man. This is what we're I talking about. Like the, the hypocrisy of a lot of what they do. You sure. know, they, they rail against corporatism, they rail against capitalism. Go on their site right now and get a, get a t shirt. Sure. How much do you think it is? <laughs> I don't know. Probably Take expensive. A Take a guess of what their t shirt Probably a t shirt is like. 30 bucks. $35. $35. Yeah, a hoodie is probably like 60, $70. $75 bucks. Yep. for a hoodie. Right. Yeah. It's pretty uh, common. Like, it's common or. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So it's... is Rage Against the Machine a common band or are they, uh, are they a band for the common man? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it? yeah. It's... If anything, they shouldn't be making any money on. Like, again, these worth $35 million. These worth $20 million. Well, they're only making so much money off of it. Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's negligible. everybody else has got to get their dip in on Yeah, it. I get it. But it's like, okay, I have an Amazon merch account, you know. <laughs> I can sell a T-shirt. The <laughs> lowest know. for the lowest amount is $13. Where well, I you want to see Zach pressing T-shirts? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I want to see him fucking squirting ink all over the screen. You know what I do? Screen. I want to see him pressing shirts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to see them not selling shirts. You know, yeah. I, want to see, I want to see them or them themselves selling shirts. And if they're that anti-capitalist and they're, they're super high communist, why are they selling merchandise at all? It's, or, or why are they hiring some third-party company? Yeah, I get they're busy and they got other shit to do, but they're participating in the exact see, system the they rail is against. Here is they rail too hard, so yeah. therefore somebody like yourself. That starts asking those questions, they look bad. You know what I mean? Because they they don't have a good answer. Well, it's but they're also human, and I wish they would just say, "Right, hey, that's yes. what they need yes. to say." It's like, "Hey, <laughs> I get it. We're making money." It's like, right. but it wouldn't behoove them to admit that kind of thing. Yeah. So they have to keep, you know, kind of being this phony band at this point, <laughs> like. In the 90s, I would say that they were not a phony band, but... I'm sure they have great explanations to all of this. No, they have highfalutin, like, (laughs) bullshit. It's like, the currency of information needs to be uh, done in the proper channels. And what, Noam Chomsky? Would you say Noam Chomsky would not have his book sold at Barnes & Noble? No. These are the outlets that we have to accept, uh, uh, to put push our, our message out. Is but this it's like, Tom saying this? It is Tom. I, yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but it's like that's exactly what he said. It's like you the currency of like misinformation. He's, yeah, he says all this highfalutin bullshit, and he, he and they all dodge that question whenever that they're interviewed. They're like, "You signed with Sony." You did SNL. <laughs> you have all these commie beliefs. You went on, you, like, you do all these Rolling Stone interviews next to ads for Ford pickup trucks and fucking Exxon Bell, <laughs> Exxon Mobil. It's like, who, who the fuck are you kidding? You know? It's like, well, the, the, his explanation is essentially boils down to, well, we have to get our message out. So we want to go to the biggest channels available to us. And they have the biggest yeah. channels available to us. It's all part but of the, the machine, but man. It, again, I, Exactly. The machine. They're not raging against the machine. They're raging for the machine. No, they're a spoke in the machine. Exactly. Just like everybody else is in their point in their part. And that's what pisses me off about them today is like they 
they won't admit that they're I don't fault them for doing it. It's like I would do the same thing. It's like here's 30 million dollars. Do this. And I'm like, "Okay, good." Right. <laughs> Me and my grandchildren are good for the next 60, 70, 100 years, you know. I mean, but they don't there could have been a point that. where they just eased off of it. You know what I mean? I get they were young and they had strong beliefs and yada yada, but now they're old. It's like let it go. Just do it for your fans now. Or just, just play stop. some shows. And... Well, it's like just play. yeah, stop with the messaging because you're obviously right, that's a, what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> stop with the messaging. It's like do your charities and do that, but it's like stop acting like you're, you know, not a product yeah. of the machine you that you raged against. And you, you know, yeah, absolutely. And I, that's we, what I want to hear all the songs on the first. Yeah, album. just play the first and second album. Like it's like, and we didn't talk a whole lot about. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, just play the fucking songs, monkey. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's like I, I, it's like at this point, they are such hypocrites. It's like you, you've got good songs. Just keep playing the good songs. I don't care about your message, you know. That's really what it is. Now, uh, what did you think? Of- Audio Slave was cool. Because they yeah. just came out and played. Well, then, yeah. So what happened was Rage kind of broke up in uh, the year 2000. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot of, I guess it was like, you know, everyone's arguing about everything. That's whether what it was. T-shirt Nobody design. can make yeah. decisions about anything. That, that's one, that's one thing I always hate about bands. Like no one can make decisions is you can't agree on something. It's like right. a bunch of egomaniacs just concede on something and yeah. like, let's, let's move on. You know, it's like, what's with the T-shirt design? Who cares? I guess everybody was pissed. Uh at that bass player when he went on stage on the MTV Awards when uh, yeah I heard Limp that Biscuit as well. <laughs> won so and, and he hated them so much so he like yeah went on that stupid thing above yeah he went on this like uh, as a uh, background prop and, yeah, yeah as a prop and he and I remember watching that when I actually, I remember that, it too that was like the last time I watched one <laughs> yeah. of the VMAs and it was on yeah. MTV and like yeah Rage was up for Testify I think. Or Gorilla Radio, one of those songs yeah. off Battle of Los Angeles, and Limp Biscuits and like Stained and like all those new other new metal metal L1, bands were yeah. up for like best hard rock performance or something. And Tim Comerford, the bassist, said, "Fuck it, if we don't win, I'm going to come up on stage, climb up that prop on the back of them." Which Tom and Zach didn't want him to do that. They, they didn't fought want yeah. against it. Mm-hmm. Which you would think like Zach was probably like, "Yeah, go do it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, fuck Limp Biscuit. Yeah, but, you can uh, tell he was like, I don't give a shit. Don't yeah, Timmy Cummerbund wasn't having it, <laughs> so he went up there and uh, climbed up and kept rocking back and forth. Yeah, and Fred Durst was talking shit to him the entire time. He's yeah, like, we got this pussy up here. He's not gonna jump, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, yeah, good on you, Fred Durst. Good on you. Well, it's like it was like a little temper tantrum by Tim. It's like, yeah, yeah, that it did like, look like that. Yeah. It's the VMAs, you fucking commie prick. It's like, what are you so fucking worried about? You're not winning a VMA. You're not winning a fucking popcorn. But what? Yeah, statue. Like, what the fuck are you like? You should be looking at this award ceremony like. Like a children's party, you know? Yeah. It's like, why, why are you even there? Why are you staging like, a you fucking protest? You shouldn't even care enough to be there. Yeah, you should be in Darfur fucking handing out fucking food and rice and <laughs> yeah, beans to fucking dude. little kids. If that's what your music Instead, suggests. Instead, you're worried about MTV and, and what Fred they... Durst. It's like... Yeah. I, I did not get that. It's like, yeah. for all they stand for and they're pissed off they didn't win a VMA. It's yeah. like, you're anti-corporate people. It's like... <sighs> I... I 
And that's where I get, you know, obviously we've been talking about it for a while, but it's like, that's what I fucking hate about them. A lot of times they're fucking hypocrites, Yeah. but they're fucking human. It's like, I get it. It's like, you're going to be jealous. You're not, it's like, you're up for an award. You lose to this fucking asshole in a fucking backwards cap and tattoos. My music is obviously it's better. And the song they lost to was Break Stuff. <laughs> I'd be pissed too. But... I'd be pissed too. <laughs> but stop acting like you're above uh, it all when you're sitting there in the award ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. With his shoulder tattoos. Yeah, I will say that. He's got some sweet shoulder tattoos. It's like it's all blacked out, like he's blacked wearing a t-shirt, out. you know? Yeah. And he's got these little symbols on each, yep. uh, you know. Got, he's got his one leg all. Rotator like, cup. Oh, <laughs> It's funny because his one leg has those hardcore tattoos on him, and it's like on his like shin, and I, he doesn't have it on the other one. And he was probably like, "Fuck that! That hurts so bad. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm again. not doing it." On- <laughs> I bet that shin turn tattoo whatever would hurt. Oh my god! Um, but the, you know that's what I <sighs> do. The battle for Los Angeles or the battle of Los Angeles. A rage. They had a couple of good songs. Like the Ghost of Tom Joad, I like that song, but I'm pretty mm. sure it is a remake of another song. Yeah, it's a cover song. Uh, yeah, a cover song. I forget who did it originally. It's, uh, uh, shit. The Boss. Uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think I remember hearing yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> Come Like a Bomb. That's a, I think that's one of my favorite songs on that on that album. Testify, I didn't like that song. Gorilla Radio, I didn't really like that song. Born of a Broken Man, that's a good song. I like all those songs. Yeah. Um, I don't know the rest of them. Like, uh, what are we talking about? Mic Check, I don't know that one. Sleep Now in the Fire, I don't really like that oh, song. Oh, hell yeah, dude. I don't like it. It's it's. These it are all like, songs I played, so I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like Testify, <laughs> Gorilla Radio, songs. and like, yeah, Sleep Now in the Fire. They all sound the same to me. Yeah, dude. I mean, they're they're good. They got songs. mad groove to them. I think they're just played out for me. You know, it's like I think this was the most commercially successful one where you got the, where they fucked out yeah. every one of the radio play songs. Plus, they, they didn't really do anything after that, so it was like it was like the last bit that like labels were pushing them to play. You right? Know? Yeah, they weren't pushing to play. You know, their first album shit. Uh, Born of a Broken Man, that's a good one. Born of a Broken Man. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, Born as Ghosts, I don't know that. Maria, I can't think of it. Maria. Uh, Voice of the Voiceless, New Millennium Homes, Ashes in the Fall, War Within a Breath. I like that one, I believe. Uh, no Shelter was also a uh, bonus track on that, which is a, uh, a good song as uh-huh. well. Um, and that was like the last, yeah, I didn't really enjoy a lot of the songs because they, they seem too poppy for me, you know, hmm. um, to radio play. There was not a whole lot of F-bombs in there. There wasn't a whole lot of passion <laughs> in there. I really didn't feel like there was a whole lot of passion there. I felt like it was just like this commercial, you know, cash grab with this album. I could be wrong. I mean, like, I'm not so Well, at this expert. point in time, they were all still like doing good with the you know what i mean they weren't uh communicating very good and they weren't yeah, they're a uh, broken band they're, they're born of a broken band. yeah i mean <laughs> like you could tell like when they're touring and then they were kind of starting to slow down on touring and weren't playing a lot of shows and then they'd come out with an album but you know just do very little shows on it and it just seemed like you were seeing them less and less 
before they ended up like breaking up and then you just had the occasional like reunion side project or, or side or, project like Tom Morello did uh, the Night Watchman like his right. own little thing I mean yeah. obviously they did Audio Slave which I didn't really like like there's I think there's maybe a couple of Audio Slave songs I liked I love Chris Cornell I think he's one of the greatest yeah. singers ever but um, I didn't really like a whole lot of Audio Slave they they were commercial success but I was I wasn't yeah. buying their album it took or, me a while like because I have I did buy their first album and then. Uh, you know, after like I got Spotify, I was able to like kind of re-listen to like their first and second album more, and you know, their second album was like okay after I you know listened to it a couple times. So it just took a little bit for me to like get it, but they have like the same ingredients. You right. know what I mean? It's like every song is relatively the same, right? You know, just and that's what I figured. You know, and we li- yeah. I mean, listen to like Like a Stone and. Coaches and like, right. yeah, they're all they all follow the they same kind of have like a good intro and then yeah. you know it's a real like kind of just standard four four and then you got your solo and then you know the, just it, it was good it was good to rock to but you know as far as like really being deep or revolutionary yeah, it, no no <laughs> um, but it could have been like. A lot cooler. I think at the time when it was happening and they kind of announced that it was going to be Chris, like, I think everybody was, like, excited. They were like, yeah, man, this course. could be, like, amazing. And then right. when it came out, it was like, this is not what I thought it right. was going to be. Like, Because it's not Rage and it's not Soundgarden. You know? Right. It's like you got – from what I was reading, Rage wanted to do something apolitical. They didn't want to, you know, just – you start another Rage Against the Machine band. Right. They wanted another, a different style. And I would say that's exactly what they did. You know, it just created this. I'm sure this was a giant cash grab, you know, because. Oh, yeah. Because the they just keep calling super it group. Super Group. Yeah. yeah that's it was what a they kept Super Group it. that fucking came together and had, what, four hits on the radio, like top 10 hits. And. I'm sure they made yeah, a Yeah, like I said, if you re-listen to it, they actually did have a lot more hits than you realized because there are a couple songs that just sound the same. <laughs> so, but yeah, like that first album, there was probably like four. And then in the second album, there was also three or four. So um, I they... I, I didn't think even they know they had, had a third album. I didn't even know they had a second album. Yeah, I think they have a third album too, and that's one like I really couldn't couldn't listen to. I may be wrong on that yeah. one, but they but definitely I, had two. Chris Cornell was great with Soundgarden, and that was like Magic in a Bottle and Rage without Zach Delaroca. Like I don't think that was sustainable. They tried to join two different, essentially two different genres together, and no one expected to get what they got. And I, I seriously did not expect to get something like that. I thought it would have been a lot heavier, quite honestly. Yeah, because they, they I, I got thought, the well, end of saying. life, I thought, Chris. Well, like, I thought it was like a cash grab, you know. It's like because we got this soft, melodic, and some of them were good. Like, again, I didn't listen to a lot of their catalog in it for Audio Slave, But, like, I just felt like something was missing with them. Like, I felt like it was just like this, you know, of the time bands like that like Nickelback or Stain like they they, they didn't I don't sta- think it, it could they didn't even, stand out enough for me you know yeah but it, the the difference there is like it's not nearly as commercial as sounding as those bands I disagree it still sounded like you know 
those members because you can't replace the sound of Tom. You can't replace the sound of Chris. So with those two, it's still kept it in the genre that they were in. It's just Chris was like, he didn't really have that vocal sound that he had with Soundgarden where he was hitting like those real highs, you know, he was kind of really... He was even you know, keel, you know. Yeah, yeah, it real right kind down of the middle. more chill and. But but you said you know you can't replace the sound of Tom. Like he was indistinguishable. It's like I felt like Tom, on in Audio Slave, he was like he could be replaced by a thousand different guitarists. No. You know? <laughs> I think you just need to listen to it again. Maybe I need to listen. <laughs> Maybe you're right, but it's like I just I remember in Coaches yeah. and and like no, the I hits, listened you know? to it. I didn't listen to a lot of their albums. A bunch. Yeah. I didn't listen to any of it. I, like, I didn't buy it. I didn't really care yeah. about it. You know, I, I heard what happened. Like, you know, I was like, all right, they got a couple of hits. And I, I was kind of turned off because it wasn't anything. Oh, unique. yeah, yeah. I, I didn't feel like it was anything unique, like Rage was or Soundgarden was. Yeah. And I felt like they should have done something more unique. I felt at that like time a boilerplate, was... a boilerplate, like. Yeah, if yeah, you didn't band, like it, you, you know? could get rid of it because that's if you didn't want it. That's how most people were at that time. They didn't want it because it was breaking up two bands or they just wanted those bands to stay what they were and not do this. So most people didn't even give it a try or a listen. Some people did give it a listen and then just immediately didn't like it. That's me. And like I listened to it because I bought the album, so I wasn't about to throw away, you know, 10, 12 bucks, you know. (laughs) So I listened to it a lot until I had like – my few favorite songs on there and then revisiting it, listening to it a bunch and then learning the second album. You know, I think the first and second album, those two could just kind of like almost blend into the same album. I'm sure. But, um, it is what it is. I mean, it's, uh, it sounds like Chris playing with Rage, but Rage isn't Rage. It's like old man right. Rage. And I think that's what it is. Chris will so, always sound like Chris, but Rage will never sound like Rage. They're just something else. And I don't think it sells it to say that it's the guys from Rage Against the Machine. And then you hear the guys from Rage Against the Machine sound nothing like Rage Against the Machine. So your expectations are kind of like out the door, you know? I just like that Rage, the band never stopped playing with each other yeah i i, I so can, from I the beginning that. some you know what was 91 or whatever mm-hmm. all the way until they got back with zach and still started playing again after profits and after all that shit like it still remained that core band still yeah, working together i agree with that and that's really cool because like that's super hard, man. Like it kind of tells you also who's the asshole of the band. <laughs> <laughs> if these three guys can get together and still keep playing, you know. Yeah. Well, I know Zach. The uh, you know, he wrote a letter just stating why he quit. He said like nobody could. Uh, Nobody's get listening along. to me. Nobody uh, can make decisions, and you know. Yeah, I heard they were. Ar- yeah, they were arguing about t-shirt colors. And he wanted like to like, you know, go and do a different band or do a solo project, which he like never did really. No, it was that one day as a lion. I think that's what he had a solo project like that. And he he, didn't do anything. Well, it's like, he's lost without it. I think, and I'm just speculating here is that Zach Del Roca is a great frontman with rage against the machine. He felt like he was rage against the machine. 
Right. And then once they broke up and he did nothing after that besides, <laughs> you know, failed side projects, he, he's kind of out of the out of the spotlight. You know, he kind of realizes that, all right. Yeah. And that's why we and have too these. much politics. He yeah. kept doing too much politics, man. After that, and they like, keep, yeah, he's like aligning himself with the Zapatistas in like Mexico. Yeah, that's these, when like people are right, like or hard well, left communist. Yeah, how are you going to stay in a positive fuck? light in America? It's like, dude, you're 50 when years you're... old. <laughs> the fuck, you're, you're worth 20 million dollars. Yeah. You're aligning yourself with this little guerrilla group in, in Mexico. I'm like, dude. Yeah. Do something. I'm, so, I'm like, I'm sure he's doing shit with, you know, because Rage have always aligned themselves with different causes. They've aligned themselves with Michael Moore. They famously shut down Wall Street to yeah. do that uh, Sleep Now in the I Fire. I was going to bring that up because that was awesome. Yeah, and I, I, I like that A lot of people stuff. thought Disrupt that was like just, that wasn't real, but that was totally real. It was, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They got arrested and, you know, I think what's his name spent the night in jail or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, you know, but those days are over. You know, yeah. those days are over. Just make some music if you like it, you know. And That's where I feel like they're at now because now that they, when they go, I've seen, I haven't seen them live, but I've seen a lot of YouTube video and Zach comes out there just as crazy. And I, I think, he, what, he broke his foot or his ankle? His Achilles tendon he broke. Oh, is that yeah. what it was? Like I yeah. went on their website this morning and it was actually just this past March where he did that. He, yeah, he, uh, yeah, yeah. He tore his Achilles tendon. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he was uh, uh, sitting canceled, on stage. Yeah, it was like the public service announcement tour. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, they canceled the 2023 tour, tour as well. And I was thinking, like, well, Dave Grohl sat down, sat there on a throne with a broken foot and still continued yeah. the tour, you fucking bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zach did. He he was sitting on the on a, something, and he had, like, a chair holding his foot up, and he was just singing. But, man, somebody like Zach not being able to – yeah, be that, himself. That's gotta suck, right? Yeah, he can't get up and you do know? his thing. But I mean, again, he's fifty years old now. So, like, how much, <laughs> how much stage presence does he really have? You know, I mean, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Uh, either way, um, but my love for Rage comes from that first album, that second album, not so much the third album. Um, but they're, I, I disagree with a lot of their politics. Some of it I do agree with, like the workers' rights stuff. Uh, I'm not so much of a communist, uh, or I'm not at all a communist, but and that's what I that's no, what I don't like not about, so much. <laughs> about uh, Rage Against the Machine. But I do like the passion that they have in their music. Uh, they're very straightforward in their beliefs, and you know it kind of shaped uh, new metal. Is whether or not you want to call that new metal or not, uh, it shaped a lot of the music landscape of the mid '90s to late '90s, and. Uh, uh, they want to call it modern metal instead of nu uh, metal. I don't it's, know. it's like I wouldn't, and also I, I, I would say that it's not new metal. It was kind of their own thing. They kept bringing it up as uh, you know hard rock metal, like that's what they kept referring to it. Not them. I mean, like MTV and shit. So they weren't. I would say that. Know, I would say that it's like the lyrics are rappy ish, but that's not rap. You know, it's like yeah, shit rhymes like every fucking song. But yeah, um, but they're it's I, just too hard. They are their category. But you can you can you can compare <laughs> a lot of their songs to different artists. You know, like Corn. Like there's a couple of songs that where his, he's like screeching the the high you know the high strings on the guitar. It sounds a lot like Corn. What Corn does. Um, there's a lot of chunky shit like what uh, uh, Limp Biscuit does. 
Um, and there's a lot of melodic stuff that he does sometimes, what like Stained or somebody like that does. Um, but I I would call them their own thing. It's it's rage, you know. It's political metal. Yeah. That's what I would call it. It's like it's fast political metal. All right. I wouldn't that sounds call better. It, I wouldn't call it fast. It's just political metal. You know, it's you know it has political a message. groove metal. There you go. <laughs> I would call it that. It's not super fast, it's not super slow. It's kind of right in the middle. Anything else about uh, our one of our favorite fans? And it really is like when I was listening to Rage this yeah. morning, I was like headbanging by myself. Like I loved playing these songs, even when I listen to it today. Like even when we were listening to it earlier, yeah, it I, mean, I was slamming my fucking hairs raw, yeah, standing on end. I mean, to create something like that is amazing not too many bands do that um some of them are the biggest bands in the world like metallica or corn that they have those early works to kind of hold them throughout their entire career even right. if it goes to shit, songs. you know it's like <laughs> doesn't matter they have these amazing ones that blew them up and that's sometimes that's all you need um but um i'm glad that you know, when all of this rage was coming out, I was around, and <laughs> when their albums were coming out, I was buying them, and, you know, they were one of my bands, so I'm glad to glad to be around for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad we got to talk about this band, because um, I love that first album. Like, I, I, I can, again, I can listen to it front to back. I, it slams, and, and it gives me nostalgia feels uh, you know immediately because in my formative years i was slamming this i was slamming corn i was slamming pantera and it was like on a regular rotation that first album mainly the second album not so much i disagree you know as getting older i disagree with their politics quite heartily <laughs> i'm not a communist yeah, i just didn't really um, listen to that it was about the music for but i think I, I think generally. that's why they resonate with a lot of younger people because or or metal fans in general because you don't have to you don't have to agree with their politics to enjoy their music yeah yeah. you know it's 100%. like uh, fuck you i don't you i won't do what you tell me it's like that's the anthem of every fucking 13 year and old it's an anthem the, you can use those lyrics for anything in your right. life whether it's your boss your parents yeah man uh, doesn't matter. Uh, the fucking HOA. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Yeah, it's a, it's a defiance. It's a, the D, the E, the F, the I, the A, the N, C, the E, mind of a revolutionary. It's defiance, you know. It's, oh, that was beautiful, dude. It's uh, it's a, it's defiant music, and whether whether or not you you know agree completely with their communist beliefs, um, it resonates with everybody, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, stand up against authority. Hell yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for sharing. And don't forget to go ahead and leave us a rating review of at least five stars to help us grow the show that it currently is. Tony. Yeah, just hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Make fun of us, laugh at us, give us ideas, whatever. And, uh, yeah, at the Retro M&M Show. Retro M&M Show. Let us know how we're doing. Are we doing well? Are we doing bad? Or are we just... Which one do you like better? (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening. And again, please give us a rating review of these five stars on your podcast. Hell, six stars. Hell, six, six, six stars. (laughs) Yes, go ahead and please do that. It helps us grow the show. And uh, we will see you next time. Peace.